Well, good morning friends. My name is Shabu. I have the great privilege to be one of the pastors at Canterbury Gardens Community Church. Um, and if you're wondering, no, this is not my backyard. And if it was my backyard, this would be my worst nightmare. It's been very kind of a local winery who were willing to let me come and film this sermon for you this Sunday morning. This morning, we want to continue our journey in the Gospel of John. If you're new to Canterbury or have come across today, we've been taking our time through the Gospel of John and we come to one of the most, I guess, significant passages, I think, in the Gospel of John. We come to one of the most significant moments where Jesus is now saying, what is the key to have life in his name? So let me pray in that regard. So Lord Jesus, I come to you this morning, wherever we are. Lord, I pray and ask that your spirit will make these words come alive. In your name, amen. Today we come to the moment where Jesus is continuing his discipleship school. He's continuing to teach his disciples what it means to be a follower of his. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab that already if you haven't. And I would encourage you to grab a pen as well and explain that in a minute. So two things I want us to consider this morning. One, Jesus, the true vine. And two, Jesus, our source of fruitfulness. Jesus, the true vine. What do I mean by that? So Jesus and his disciples have just finished a meal. Uh, Jesus has done some significant things, including teaching. He's washed uh, their feet. He's explained that one of them would betray him. Uh, he's spoken of obedience. He's, he's spoken that it's driven out of love. He's talked about the promise of the helper, the Holy Spirit that is going to come. And then they get up from their meal and they go for a walk. Uh, probably not like a vineyard as this. But most commentators say that Jesus most probably was heading towards what's known as the Garden of Gethsemane. So this means it's a significant moment of his life. He's heading towards betrayal. He's heading towards the moment when his disciples will abandon him completely. And he's heading to the cross where he will be crucified for the sins of the world. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment you're a disciple. Okay, you're probably not a disciple. You're just sort of kind of just crashing the party and you've joined Jesus in this walk. Jesus is continuing his significant teaching, teaching of what it means to be a disciple of his. But this teaching would change the lives of the disciples significantly. Probably they didn't fully understand it then, but later on when the Holy Spirit came and made these words come alive. See, what Jesus is teaching what is the significance of what it means to be a disciple, to follow him. And this teaching then that means is true for us today in 2020. So as they're walking, uh, Jesus probably would have seen perhaps a vineyard. And as he's walking, he's starting to use terminology that's very familiar to them. See, back then, vineyards were quite normal. Uh, it was quite um, normal to see them. But not only that, it was a significant uh, symbol to the Jewish people. See, the, the vineyard or the vine uh, showed a real deep truth to tie together this imagery from the Bible. So Jesus uses what they know and they've seen, but to unpack this image of a vine. Jesus says, have a look with me. John 15, 1-4. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the world that I have spoken to you. 
this statement that Jesus says is one of the last I am statement that he says about who he is. John is now connecting something that is very deeply rooted in the Jewish mindset. There's theology in this, there's history in this, there's fulfillment in this. This metaphor of the vine has some deep meaning for the Jewish people. If you're a listener, and particularly if you're of Jewish descent, you know what this means. But in this moment, Jesus says, I am the true vine. And that very statement, I am, is declaring again of his deity, who he is, that he is God. Secondly, this idea of the vine and this metaphor or this imagery was connected deeply to the nation of Israel. This is how they saw themselves. They were seen as the vine. It's steeped in Old Testament history and tradition. Actually, one of the Psalms in Psalm 80 says this, You bought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. See, Jesus is now unpacking something for them. See, for the people of Israel, the vine meant it meant them. And that's what the psalmist is saying. This vine that was snipped out of Egypt. This picture of being rescued, now being planted somewhere else in the promised land. To be a people for God. They were meant to represent God in this land and to flourish under his loving care and rule. But you know the story, over and over again, Israel would drop the ball. Not just Israel, but individuals representing the people of God. And later on, even God himself would, in a sense, lament to Isaiah about his relationship with Israel. And this is what Isaiah would write down, what God would say. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? imagery given here by Isaiah that they're meant to produce good fruit but they produce was wild grapes it's an imagery of what happens when sin corrupts the heart of a person and in this moment it's talking about a nation what they did was ultimately reject God's loving care now God then constantly throughout the Old Testament was promising someone someone who would come a Messiah who would come and rescue the people. Actually, the very psalm that I read to you in Psalm 80 alludes to that. And then Jesus arrives. Jesus arrives as the true vine. He is the better vine, the one who would be the perfect obedient vine, unlike the people of Israel, unlike many of us, actually. The one who would reap a better harvest. This is Jesus. This is why Jesus says what he says, that he is the true vine. He is the genuine vine. He is the fulfillment of what all of the Old Testament was waiting for and pointing towards. So Jesus' statement ushers something quite significant then for the disciples to hear for the very first time. It is no longer about having access to God because of your ethnic background or heritage. That even doesn't necessarily give you a privilege in that context being a Jew. Rather, it's through Jesus alone. See, for the, the original readers of the Gospel of John, this would have been so comforting words for them. Particularly if you don't come from a Jewish background, all of a sudden it's been revealed to you that you can worship the creator of the universe, not by turning yourself into a Jewish person, it's because of your belief in the true vine. 
That same for us today, friends. Jesus is the true vine that we must come to. In a sense, this is the one we need to be connected to. This is the one who will then connect us to the Father. What a wonderful thing it is, isn't it? That there's only one way that we can have access to God. That is through Jesus, the true vine. So what that means is when Jesus invites you in fellowship and friendship and in submission to his loving lordship, he invites you to be part of this community, this family. Whatever you are, whatever background you've had, whatever history you've had, whatever race or ethnic background you come from. And Christian brothers and sisters, this means for you and I today, if you've accepted Jesus as the true vine, that means there is a work in your life and my life. Did you see that in those verses? So there's two people here. There's one who are not connected to Jesus as the true vine, who don't believe that he is the true vine, and they're thrown away. This is a picture of judgment. Then there is someone else. And the picture that's given is of pruning. Now, friends, I've got to be honest with you. I have no idea about pruning. But what I've been told is that pruning is good for you. And that's the imagery that John is using, that Jesus is actually using. He's saying the picture of pruning is as though the Father is coming and cleansing to do what? To bear more fruit. So this idea of pruning and cleaning is actually a rhythm that comes to everyone who's a disciple of Jesus. As we are connected to the true vine. See, pruning happens. And the fruit of that is more fruit will happen because of what Jesus says is true. This is a wonderful picture, friends. If you look at it, who's doing all the work? It's God through his Son. Friends, this is the early pictures of grace shown to us in the New Testament. Jesus, the true vine, is the very source of hope and grace. And as a true vine, we can come have relationship with the Father. And his grace then, at his grace, he then works in us by pruning away all that junk in our lives because of his love for us. So this is ringing in the disciples' ears. And then now Jesus unpacks for them Jesus as the source of fruitfulness. So Jesus is continuing his teaching to his disciples by showing, in a sense, the key to what it means to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus. So have a look with me. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burnt. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Yeah, this is the moment where I said, grab a highlighter, grab a pencil or a pen. And what I want you to do is highlight a word that keeps on coming up. Have you picked it? It's not really hard, is it? Abide. When Jesus is repeating words, he's trying to get his disciples' attention and the future disciples' attention. Now, let me be honest with you. 
uh, when you and I consider what it means to abide, my guess is we don't use it often. Like if I came up to you and said, hey bro, hey man, do you mind if I abide with you? You probably think this is strange and I'm going to extend my social distancing uh, with you for a longer period. Um, so as you know, I'm Indian and, and one of the things I used to love growing up at my house with my mum would call, uh, cook the famous chicken curry and then whenever she cooked it there was this sweet aroma that would come through the whole house and you would love eating it, enjoying it, but then after I left the house I noticed that it's as though the smell would cling onto my clothes and I could still smell the chicken curry. I'm getting hungry as I think about it actually. But see, what Jesus is trying to pick is not about chicken curry. He's talking about this language of being abiding. It's as though he's there and that your very soul is now connected with him. Uh, there's a spiritual reality and everything that you do and think is being now um, being shaped by who he is in you. As you abide in him, he abides in you. In a sense, the very the smell of who Jesus is, is soaking into the depths of your soul. This truth of abiding is one of the core, key Christian fundamentals. It's actually something that needs to capture our hearts, our minds, and our very wills, actually. See, for one, you might have thought being a Christian is about being all about being a good person. Or you might be thinking that Christians automatically think we think they're better than anyone else. Uh, you might be even thinking being a disciple of Jesus is actually about ticking all those religious boxes, right? Go to church, be involved in ministry, uh, send your kids to a Christian school, go to a Christian school, go to small groups. In other words, you think this will what is what shows to the world that you're a disciple. Well, actually, Jesus says the source of living a fruitful life in this world as a disciple is someone who is deeply connected in their very being as seeing Jesus as the source of life. How you ask. Jesus says, abide in me. As you abide in him, he abides in you. You see that in verse 4. As you abide in him, he abides in you and guess what? Fruit is produced. That sounds simple, doesn't it? It sounds so easy to do. <laughs> oh man, friends, when I've been meditating on this passage this past week, it has been frustrating. Why? If you're anything like me, this is the moment that we're tempted to say, what does that actually look like? Well, friends, you could go to a few different places and there are people who are far smarter than I who've written books on it and I would encourage you. There's a guy called Andrew Murray who thinks about this deeply. It's an old school book, but take time to read it. But here are some thoughts I want you to consider this morning. First, it needs to start with a particular kind of posture. What's the kind of posture I'm talking about? Do you see what Jesus says in these verses? It's a moment of realizing Jesus' words. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. That is a humbling verse, isn't it? Abiding in Jesus means, firstly and foremost, realizing any fruit that is produced in you, in me, Jesus did it. Which means Jesus is definitely the source of fruitfulness. The starting point is humility. Secondly, it starts with us recognizing 
there are consequences of not being connected to and remaining in Jesus. Well, what this picture here is not losing salvation stuff, okay? I don't believe that. What the verses are unpacking for us is to declare that a rejection of Jesus as the true one, a rejection of wanting to abide in him, is going to bring judgment on you. So it is a call by Jesus here. The thirdly, to prove to be a disciple of Jesus, well, the outworking of this, well, it is a reminder it comes by not just having a relationship with Jesus, but it's understanding that the very words that he speaks, the very words that are written down in the Gospels, for example, are words that should and ought to shape our lives. Now, friends, I know that you and I, if you've grown up in the church, you most probably have sung the song, right? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Yes, Jesus loves me. I don't know if this has happened to you, but as you grow in your walk with Jesus, at some point you might sing similar songs like this. Jesus loves me, this I know, because I go to church every Sunday. Jesus loves me, this I know, because I'm not like those non-Christian friends of mine. Jesus loves me, this I know. Well, actually, does Jesus really love me? I keep on messing up. I keep on not getting it right. To abide in Jesus and to have Jesus abide in us means we grow in being captivated with this thought. As Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. See, the same love that Jesus has for you and for me is the same love the Father has for his Son. This is the very engine room that helps us to realize Jesus is the source of true fruitfulness. Friends, I hope this brings you comfort. This brings you joy as it would have done for the disciples, probably not fully at that time, till after Jesus' resurrection, then it came to them to be resting in this truth. I hope it brings you joy because this is why Jesus says, my joy is complete, meaning that he's not only going to glorify the Father, that's the greatest joy of all, but he knows that his disciples will grow in remaining in this as Jesus works in them. I hope it brings you joy. Now remember Jesus speaking to his disciples and he's not giving some sort of spiritual sort of saying. These are actual commandments that they are expected to follow in the power of the Holy Spirit who will help them. Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no other than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. I want you to imagine this. They're walking and they're talking about this. And not only that, it's a pretty significant calling to be a disciple of Jesus. But it's one of the core foundations that shaped the early church and what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. This, this powerful statement of loving one another. Then he says, he actually extends that further and says, you are my friends. 
Friends, for a Jewish rabbi to say to his disciples, you are my friends, was unheard of. So Jesus calls them his friends. It's a pretty powerful statement by Jesus to imagine this. And then Jesus says, the reason why is that you're not like hired hands who has no idea what the master's doing. Jesus is saying, I'm inviting you as friends to join in my mission of calling people to the living God through Jesus, the true vine. Their calling has a purpose. And not only that, their calling will produce fruit. It's a promise by Jesus for any disciple of his. So seeking or skeptic friends, uh, the reality is, I don't know if you know this, you are actually abiding in your own version of a vine. Abiding in something or someone that says to you, come, let's produce fruit. The fruit of success, the fruit of comfort. Fruits, you know, at the end of the day, will not really satisfy your heart and soul. Friend, we want to invite you to come and experience a far greater love, not the temporal love that you're constantly experiencing. Jesus invites you to come to him who is the true vine. Give your life to his love and let him produce fruit in you that will last eternity. Uh, Christian friends, how's your abiding going today? You know, it's interesting. Uh, we're in this season in history where most of the things that we thought were important have been either stopped or taken away from us. Maybe in this season, Jesus wants us to pay attention and grow in being uh, in our abidingness with him. Maybe we were thinking that our abiding and our success in work, ministry stuff, whatever it might have been, is what brought us true meaning. Jesus stopped that on purpose because he loves you and maybe he's wanting you to no longer be that vine dependent on yourself, but be coming back to the true vine. And I just want to say this to those of us, myself included, because I think I'm a chief uh, sinner of this. Maybe there are things that God is trying to prune in your life right now. In his goodness and mercy and love. Because you are abiding in Jesus and Jesus is abiding in you. He wants to produce more fruit in you, friend. Please don't resist it. Submit to his loving care. He wants to prune away so that you will have more fruit, so that you can bring glory to Jesus. Jesus is the true vine. Jesus is the source of fruitfulness. Yet Jesus is the greatest example of all of this. Only Jesus perfectly was abiding with the Father and the Father with him. This is what Jesus kept on saying, him and the Father are one. This is language of abiding, that he was already doing that perfectly. Jesus, although he's the true vine, was willing to go through the fiery furnace of the Father's wrath on your behalf and my behalf for our sin. He was cut from the Father, snipped away in that moment when he cried, My Father, my Father, why have you forsaken me? Because of my sin, because of your sin, that's why. Jesus is the perfect friend. Because of his love for us, he laid down his life. Is there pruning going on in your life? Friend, don't resist it. It's his grace to us that he's willing to do that in our lives. And finally, who is Jesus calling you and I to love? Who's that friend that we can reach out to this week? May we be a church that is known to be a church that is abiding in Jesus and Jesus is abiding in us.
And may we pray for one another to that end. Let me pray. Jesus, I pray that anything that is said this morning of worth, anything that will bring you glory, would you use it to further our hearts in loving you and knowing you. Anything that's said that's not of worth, make it totally be forgotten. Jesus, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you're the true vine. I thank you that we can have this wonderful gift to abide in you and you abide in us. I thank you that you send us your spirit to enable us to do that. Holy Spirit, would you do that in our lives? In your name, amen. God bless, church. See you soon.